You are listening to The Fancy Black Lady. I'm your host, Jamila Carrington-Smith. And I'm your host, Landria Seals-Green. So this is Fancy Black Lady, and it's part two of what Joe said, because we went to bed last night and woke up, and of course, an entire news cycle has come and gone, and with it, a new address by Joe Biden to the nation with regard to the unrest and the reactions to the killings of Black people in police custody. And so, well, not just in police custody, we're talking about that and extrajudicial killings. Yeah. So we're here to talk about that. So you listen to it. I listen to it. It's so interesting because he's using the language that I know that Black people have used about slavery and about systemic injustices against Black people. And he starts out by talking about the original sin of this country. So it made my ears prick up because that is the language of Black scholarship when it comes to these issues of violence against Black people. So he talks about the original sin and how it still stains today. But the thing that struck me the most as I listened to the whole thing was that he was addressing white America. Yes, that was the audience. Yeah, yeah. And it was really interesting. He pressed them to really show some empathy and to try to walk in the shoes or imagine what it must be like to walk in the shoes of every African-American in this country, because all of us are subject to you know, this kind of treatment. So to imagine what it must be like for your child to walk down the street and for you not to have any guarantee or any sense that they you know, will be safe in doing so. So I thought you know, it was... It was interesting. It was an interesting opportunity for him. I think he capitalized on the opportunity. I think he did well. I think he did well. Yeah, he looked presidential. He did. He did. If the goal was to communicate confidence, provide a level of calm to a situation that has various levels of unrest and to look like your candidate, he did. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't heartfelt. I felt like it was measured, but, and heartfelt at the same time. So it was a speech, very relevant. He said the names of the people. He said Brianna He said Taylor. their names. He said their names, which is, and then he said Eric Garner. And Eric Garner That story and what happened to that family, it just goes back to this whole thing of how when it happens to one, it happens to us all, but we are circles away from it because it didn't happen within our immediate family. And when Eric Garner's daughter, who had been fighting for him, making sure that his name stayed relevant and doing all of that, she passed away and left behind a newborn baby. And I thought that is the story. That is the tragedy. And on top of a tragedy, her heart was broken. Hmm. And in no way did she want to or mean to leave behind her newborn baby. She couldn't even enjoy what that felt like to have a newborn baby and all of the joy of that life giving and of what that means for a family because her heart was broken. 
I'm just glad he said his name. I'm glad he said his name too. But you talk about, really, isn't that the story of Black America? All of us are born into generations of this kind of pain. And interesting, in the world of biology, there's been all this talk about epigenetics and the phenotypical impact of social and environmental things that happen and the stressors that it puts on the body, how it can activate certain tendencies or turn on certain pieces of our genetics that can lead us in one direction or another at the cellular level. Yes. Yes. And so I haven't heard a lot of talk about African-Americans and the epigenetics of slavery and the epigenetics of institutional racism, of Jim Crow, of myriad social circumstances that are meant to dehumanize and demoralize us. And so we talked a little bit yesterday about high blood pressure, right? And how it's related to things like this. They're just absolutely in all around us. And that's a link. I would really like to see, you know, more, um, more research and discussion about African-Americans and the epigenetics of injustice on our communities. Yeah. There are lots of places for research medical research, behavior science research, which is my field of study, and looking at those high blood pressure data points and then the environmental variables and confounding variables that contribute to all of that. I will tell you personally, I track my blood pressure. And, you know, we've had this joke Mm. about this, um, at a certain age, you just buy a blood pressure machine to keep in your house just so you can keep track of your stuff, Hmm. right? I have been tracking my blood pressure with regard to what I eat, but with also with what's going on in my life. And when I take my vitamins, when I don't take my vitamins and what happens, and I have felt that my body is just hotter than usual the last few days. And my blood pressure is higher than it has been so much so that I went downstairs before we started today. I took a blood pressure pill. Yes, I did. Cause I have them. I took one. And then I also took, um, made sure I also drank, um, like this beet concoction that I have just because I need to make sure I am more conscious taking care of myself. Because typically if I have the beat stuff, I don't need the medication. But now I need both. And it's just very interesting to me. It's funny because never in my life have I ever thought about surviving something. Yeah. And it's weird because I don't even really want to admit it. But I feel like we are all surviving this period, which admits, it's an admission of something much more horrible than I really want to face up to. I can say, you know, that things are terrible, but to say that I am surviving it is to almost acknowledge that I'm living through one of those times where I look back in history and I say, oh my gosh, what must it have been like to have lived at that time? 
and I imagine that people will look back at this age of pandemic, this is it. of Donald Trump, of the rise of authoritarianism in the United States, of you know the muzzling of free speech, the disrespect of the First Amendment, the you know continuing domestic terrorism, specifically directed at African Americans and immigrants and brown people of every shade in this country, and say, how did those people survive? I don't know if I could have done it. Of course, we're doing it. There's no choice but we're all just frogs in a pot, right? The temperature got turned up. <laughs> like, there's nothing we can do. But to bring it back to Joe and what he said, I think probably the thing that stands out most for me is his expression of empathy. Yes. Entirely missing from what the yes. president has done. Not once has he looked into the camera and talked to every American in that way, regardless of whether you agree with the politics of the president in office at the time. We've all had these moments where the president looks into the camera and you feel like he is talking to you and to your family, where he talks about what's happening with his own family and thereby connects with every single one of us. Because we're all subject to this pandemic craziness, but not once has he said that. Mm, I agree with you so much when you say that, but what resonates deeply with me is this thing that my mother and grandmother would say is, you cannot make people what they are not. And sometimes I think the frustration is that we have expectations of people or entities stepping up and then the grief from that disappointment of what they don't deliver becomes cellular. Yes. Yes. He's not that. He's not he, that. And he's that, never been that. But the thing is, nobody's surprised, right? I'm not surprised. Still disappointed. He's not that. Still disappointed. Because still disappointed. Are, he has people. He has people who are just like, I want this man to look good. One of those people should have said, you know what? At least to put on the appearance of being human. Let's have them talk about this. You know, it's so weird because it's hard to imagine that someone proposed it to him and he was like, no, you know, bump that. I only want to talk about the economy. I have to believe that no one actually proposed it to him because I think that Donald Trump would see it as a savvy move for him to, you know, get up and pretend to empathize with people. I think if someone actually suggested it to him, he'd be like, oh yeah, that would make me look awesome. Let's do it. Mm -mm. No, you don't agree. To that point, I see it as a strategy, yes. And I do agree with you. But I don't think that he keeps people, like you and I would keep people in our camp who were good for the end goal and good for the purpose. There are groups, there are individual people who pay and keep people around them only to make sure that they agree with them. They don't want a differing opinion. I know. They're surrounded so, by sycophants. I get it. Right. Your point is well understood, well played out, and accurate. And I hope that that happens. But let's tell the truth. If he did it, would it come off well? Would we believe him? Or would it be another thing to discuss about how he tried to play empathy and did not look empathetic? Donald Trump does not give one wit about how he comes off. Right. Because no matter what he does, his base thinks he is amazing. And so he can do it and do it poorly 
And he will get amplified and magnified by everybody who wears a MAGA hat. So I don't think he's worried about doing it and not looking sincere. Yeah. Do you know Uh, I had a colleague who was wearing, and she's a a well-known colleague who was wearing a MAGA hat and no one said anything. And I was just amazed over and over again as she posted videos and talked about behavior science and did all these things. And this woman was wearing a MAGA hat and everybody thought, let her be who she is. And I kept thinking to myself, she can't be who she is around me because that speaks volumes from a soul standpoint of what you want to be great again. Because what you want to be great again is me not having a voice. It's true. Nobody thought anything was wrong with that. But also, let's strip the morality out of it. Like, okay, MAGA. All right, cool. You provide services for which people build Medicaid. Uh-huh. So how you think people are, are going to fund your little lifestyle anymore? Yeah, if you that's do that. right. You know? so it's just that's like, right. It's just stupid. That's right. It's complex, right? Not really. I don't not think it's really. complex. I agree with you. It's not complex at all. Not at all. You know, how do we get here? How did you? Back to the point. This is what I'm always amazed. No, nope, let me just stop. I'm not amazed at what I'd like to stop happening is that when we talk about people and something that has happened to them, that we don't give qualifiers of coming from a good family. They love each other. So maybe that's the way to, you know, help me with this, but maybe that's the way to bridge connection with their good family like you. They love each other like you, in parentheses, things left unsaid, right, to infer. But Why do we always have to have the qualifiers of we have to be a good family? So if the optics were poor, then bad families, families who have visible, you know, issues with one another, who may not love each other as deeply as we think they should, they don't deserve the optics if something happened to them too. It reminds me of is uh, animals. They're just like us. (laughs) So there's this crazy story that I read. I think it was, I hope I get this right. I think it was like Gregory Hines and he was recounting some story from his early career. He was still very much the man. And I guess he was like producing and starring in something. I sure hope I'm getting this story right. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, the point of it is that he was working with this director and the director has everybody on set and um, black family the mother is supposed to hug the son or something. And so this white director says, well, wait a second, that's not right. I mean, do black mothers even hug their children? And so because he was Gregory Hines, he was able to dismiss everybody from the area and have a little talk with this director. This is what we're fighting when we make all these qualifiers from a good family. They love each other. They pray. These are all things just to, you know, humanize them. They're not... Heathens? They're not what you think of when you think of brown people. No, they're nice people. They're like you. It's like a cereal commercial. (laughs) (laughs) We assume, presume so much and miss the point at the same time. I just am always in, I'm not in awe. Let me be clear. I get frustrated when there are qualifiers to make someone qualified 
for public empathy, sympathy, or cause, mm. that cause in action. You, we have to be all of these things in order to garner, because do we hug? Or do we only pray and cook collard greens? I said that. I'm about to shift my eyes away. <laughs> I mean, for real, for real. Like we eat kale too. So we it's do. like, yes, we've been eating kale. Kale it's is not green. It's just kale green. is not the new green. It it's is just green. Right. right. <laughs> uh, we so don't you know, just boil it. We saute it too. I mean, there's multiple ways. 30 million ways. 30 million people, 30 million ways. So here's another thing he did not say to white America. Come on, man. <laughs> if you have any question about whether you're for me or for Donald Trump, then you ain't white. Oh, is what he didn't say. Oh, oh, my eyes are closed. My eyes are closed because you hit it on the nail. That's the thing that communicative stereotype that you have that people have like let me go over here and let me take on the perception of black culture and black language or urban culture and urban language in order to uh, so that we can understand you better so we can understand you better and then when i'm over here in this group i'm going to be measured i'm going to be calculated i'm going to make sure i am fluent with my words cuz he was very fluent with his words and he did not take on the stereotypical colloquialism. But let's not blame Joe. This is what we allow. This is what happens. You love the culture. We know how this goes. He's not the only one that did it. And we, someone could say, well, he was giving a speech. Well, everything's a PR move when you run in for president, right? It absolutely is. On the Breakfast Club interview, he was very much on, you know, he stuck to the script until he got comfortable. And he got comfortable, like you said, because everybody gets to come to the barbecue. Everybody gets to have a taste of ribs. <laughs> he was Uncle Joe on The Breakfast Club. And he then was. in that speech, he was presidential. Senator hopeful. Joe Biden. Senator That's Joe right. Biden. That's Thank right. you. But I do appreciate that he called for accountability and police reform and justice. Yeah. He hit all the right notes. He did. He did. He spoke to all of us. There was a clear audience but he was speaking to all of us when he said it, especially when he said the appalling silence of good people. They get up, they live their lives, they do this every day, the original sin, and they continue to push forward. And it's all the things. It's all the things that you know your grandmother and my grandmother were doing, our parents have done, and that we are now doing. And yes, in the history books, we were the people that lived through the pandemic on top of all of this stuff that is happening. And on top of epidemic violence against black people. Yes, and it's like everybody is out risking their lives because the pandemic has not slowed down. So people have to risk their lives twice in protests from this virus and then also risk your lives because not everybody gets to protest freely. Yes. And let's talk about that too, because we live in a state where people get to open carry in the state capital with guns and with Confederate flags and threaten public officials and hang them in effigy. That's considered protest entirely within their rights, first and second. Well, I think that it's 
considered protest, but when my cousin Jamal does it, that's right. I want to know is your cousin it still Jamal protest. Will never do all of that. When your cousin yeah. Jamal puts his black body on the street with a sign that says "I can't breathe," that is grounds for his arrest or his censure or. Well, cousin Omar right. was working. Cousin Omar is a CNN reporter. He was working. He had credentials and he got arrested while working. So now we have invasion to your home, which happened in the early historical accounts of America, which is why we have that law, but it didn't apply to those people. You have Botham, who the woman knocked on his door. He was in his home, minding his own business. Then you have the person that's jogging. You're the person standing on the corner. You have Eric Garner, you have George Floyd, you have all of these things. And this is like, okay, but people get to stand up in different states with the big rifles and protests. AR something. something, And that is okay. That's their right. I work in a field of behavior change is what we do. Right. Our job is to look at behavior, analyze behavior and change it. And everybody's talking about, is there data for this? Is there data for that? And I'm thinking to myself, we have enough data. Watch that videotape again, just like you watch videotapes of kids with disabilities and you take data and observational data. There's your data right there. And so now create the system, create the plan to help people change their behaviors. But we are all stuck in do we have enough data? Let's collect some more data. Let's collect some more data. That's what I hear when I hear, well, we don't know all the facts. Yes. We will never it's know the every same single language. fact. But the material fact in front of us is the murder that happened. Collect more data when it comes to social injustice is the same line. It comes off as the same way. Well, do I have enough information? It's like, you have enough information, but you are afraid to act upon this because you know that from a system standpoint, you're going to have to have some uncomfortable conversations. You're going to have to create some plans that will really activate change. And your friends are not going to be happy because at the end of the day, when your friends are unhappy, you are not at rest. That's right. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And people would rather deal with the whatever discomfort they have wrestling against their own morality silently inside themselves than speak up and have to deal with the discomfort of the disapproval of their friends. Yes. Yes. Because that's your community. That's who they see as their community. That's who they see as their community. So is this going to die down? I don't think so. I think we're at a space of a revolution and I think we're at a space of the revolution being televised. We're not taking this anymore. We have too much at stake. We have too much at stake. We own studios. We own businesses. We are all of these things. We are raising these children and these kids. We have a generational purpose and we have America's promise in our children. We are not going to let this, that people are not going to take this. I think this is uh, enough. The pandemic did this too, you know. Tell me about that. We've been in our homes We've had shelter in place. We've had time to experience and think about some things. And we are also stressed. We're also stressed. And so if we had been about our normal lives, we would have been upset. 
we would oh. have been upset about no, this. No, you're right. You're right. But this time we're like, the hell this will happen again. It's like, everybody's yeah. like, the hell you will. You know that aunt that you have? And the aunt sits down, she has that cigarette hanging out the side of her mouth. And you know, it's like just dangling and she can have a full conversation. The cigarette just keeps going up and down, <laughs> right? And then if you had to have an image for this, it's Auntie Van. Auntie Van is sitting there like the and the hell you will. And Auntie Van is not taking it because when Auntie Van spoke and she said that, whatever you willed to do, you didn't. So it's different. It's different this time. You feel bolder. I know I do as a personally and professionally. I just feel bolder. It's too much at stake. And one of them is our health. It's Mental Health Awareness Month, right? In May. It's okay. mental health. It's May 30th. Yeah. It's 31 days in May. So tomorrow's the last mm -hmm. day of May. Wow. I know. Wow. We're into June and then November. <laughs> It'll be November before we know it. It will be November before we know it. What a year. What a year. And we're going to vote for president this year. And I'm hoping that right now, while we are all working to protest that the people who are focused on voter suppression and legislation and making sure that voting is seamless in November and that we can all, each state has the option to mail in votes, I hope that they stay focused, stay focused, people, because that is important. But this is the time for everyone to take action. And I yes. know that for some people, putting your body, using your body as protest is what they can do and what they are willing to do. For other people, you know, be sure to vote, to register to vote, get your mail-in voter information set and ready to go. Also, this is the time for other actions. So if you have other abilities to put your professional abilities to work, that's right. put them to work. So find an organization, pour your talents and your money and your time into that organization. It's going to take work on all fronts. You know, it's going to take those people in the streets because there's, there's a place for that. It's going to take, yes. there's a place for all of your professional energy and talents. You know, there's a place for that. And then, of course, every single one of us individually needs to make sure that we are ready to vote. I cannot say it enough. Yes. Get your mail-in voter information ready. And in the midst of that, take care of you. Stay and the alive. People around Stay you. alive. Stay alive. Stay alive. Because your vote matters. Because you, you know, it's so you got to vote. Terrible, because you got to vote. It's so terrible. Every, when people die close to an election, I always think, oh, that's one vote. Did they vote before they passed I away? Too. I do, too. It's do you think that? Part. But we need every vote. So yeah. stay alive. November, what is it? Is it the 11th this year? I can't remember. The 4th? I don't 11th, know. I can't remember. That's the finish line. That's it. <sighs> that's it. Most of my life, I can always remember my father taking off um, from his job days before voting because he was one of the people that checked you in, volunteered, made sure that the voting areas were good. He did that all the time. He still did that. I used to always like, oh, why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? But now as a 40-something-year-old woman, I get it. Why that was so important to him to make sure that the landscape 
of what the building, not what it looked like, but the setup of it, the organization of everything, how it was set. And he volunteered his time. That's what he did for voting. Well, my mother is a lover of history, a history teacher and a family historian. And Mm. she gave me my grandmother's poll tax receipt. My grandmother... My grandmother was a landowner in Arkansas and left Arkansas for Chicago in the early part of the 20th century. But yeah, because she was a landowner, she was one of the people who was allowed to vote after having paid a special tax. Wow. That's a very special document. It's a piece of history, not just my family's history, but all of our history. That's American Um, history. It is American history. You know, I feel the weight of it. And I love that I have this thing. I love that I have this thing. You know, wow. For all the people who don't believe that this stuff happened or don't believe that it was true. Because there are people who say, you know, well, it happened, but it was a very long time ago. You know what? No. Two generations is not a very long time ago. It's two and generations. And it wasn't even fully that. I mean, it's one generation. It's now. It's voter suppression by, of many flavors, right? We're experiencing voter suppression today. That's just one form of voter suppression from yesteryear. So, uh, yeah, I carry the weight of that. So to be clear, she could only vote because she was a landowner. That is correct. And she paid a special tax on top of being a landowner. Is that, I felt like that was important to say again and just kind of reemphasize because it's not that she was just a person with the right to vote. She had to have a special caveat times two to be able to vote. A special caveat within a context that did everything to make sure that Black people were not landowners. Yes. And could not pay their tax. Right. So she had to be a warrior woman to have land. That's right. And then to have extra money. So he said something that got him in trouble. He said something that pulled the country together. But at the end, at the end of it all, this is someone who is speaking from his heart. And so whether he trips over himself as he does it or not, we can hear him and know that he's speaking from his heart. God knows the other guy is too. (laughs) And he has his pulse on current events. It's okay to talk about it all. It's okay to talk about the pandemic, the virus, and this, be empathetic across all fronts and address the people. An accusatory language is never... No matter what Joe said, he talked to the people, and that's presidential. Yeah, speaking to the people. That's what we've been missing. And let's keep doing what we can individually and collectively to make sure that November 2020 gives us the things that we need and want. So thank you for listening to this episode of The Fancy Black Lady. Until next time, stay fancy. Thanks for listening and look out soon for season one. To contact us to give us comments or show topic suggestions, email us at fancyblacklady at gmail.com or find us on our social media handles, Fancy Black Lady.